For some players, the game of basketball can take them to places they'd never expect. For Cody Toppert, that is literally all over the map. Coming out of New Mexico, Cody was a standout at Cornell University before time in the G League eventually led him to teams in Italy, Bulgaria, Germany, England, and Spain, to name a few. That international experience gave him perspective on the game where you need to adjust your style of play to the variety of environments a player can find themselves in. That experience also gave him a unique perspective as a coach on the sidelines and in player development. Once he made it back to the States, Cody worked with the Rockets and Suns, developing all levels of players from rookies and journeymen to Devin Booker and James Harden. Now, as an assistant on Penny's staff in Memphis, Cody has worked to blend in that knowledge with the styles of play for future pros. For Penny, instilling elements of professionalism, work ethic, and execution on the court is the mission. And in Memphis, they are definitely on a mission. It's tunnel vision. It's a very special edition with Cody Topper and Penny on the Two Cents Podcast. We're back, so be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and get every episode as soon as they drop. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to the My Two Cents Podcast. We have a special guest today. He is not a stranger. We have Cody Topper here, uh, the assistant coach for the University of Memphis. Welcome, my guy. Hey, I'm happy to be here, coach. Give my one cent. <laughs> yeah, give your one cent to my two cent. All right. All right, but uh, honestly, just trying to give people an opportunity to know who you are. I know they see you on the sidelines. They probably have seen you in the NBA. We're just going to give you an opportunity right now. Where you're from, Albuquerque, New Mexico, your college career at Cornell, and your overseas or your professional career. Just give them a little layout. A little, little snippet, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not just an angry guy on the sidelines back there. <laughs> but, um, no, nah, I mean, I'm from Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh you know, I had some some good test scores, and so the Ivy League schools started recruiting me the heaviest, and then ended up at Cornell University for four years under Coach Donahue, turned that program around, and then you know managed to have an opportunity to play in the D League, and then Spain, Italy, Germany, New Zealand made the rounds for eight years. Uh, started uh, getting into coaching on the player development side down in Florida with a guy named Gannon Baker, and I know Gannon. Shout out to Gannon. Shout out to Gannon. Yeah, tune in, and uh, mm-hmm. you know after that. Uh, the Rockets, uh, I was lucky enough to get an opportunity to work for that organization for a couple of years before joining the Phoenix Suns, and then blessed to have an opportunity to be here for the last three years. Yeah, no, you're, um, you know, when I was looking for a coach, uh, called around everywhere just trying to, you know, ask for names, and then obviously I was getting a lot of calls, and your name came up, and uh, I looked at your resume, and you had a pretty impressive resume, and I think the big thing that intrigued me first was NBA. Secondly, you know, player development and understanding the game is something that I want to hear at the University of Memphis, so... Just talk about your experiences, obviously, with Gannon. That's where it really started to really hit mm-hmm. with Gannon. Like, how did that become a part of you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it, the, the interesting thing about it, in, in my career, I was never the most athletic, so I was always the guy who was doing extra workouts. You know, when I was in Germany, I started our little breakfast club over there. We had a, we had a guy named Dwayne Anderson on our team, and our coaches at Villanova, he was on their Final Four team. And, you know, he, he would come with me to the gym every morning. We'd do extra shooting, so... I kind of started to become a little bit of a coach at that time. And then when I got done playing, I went to a coach's clinic, and that's where I connected with Gannon. Gannon called me about seven months later and asked me if I wanted to move to Florida. Totally on a whim, packed everything up, packed my wife up. We, we took off and went to Florida. And, you know, the biggest thing for me when it comes to player development is helping guys build good habits, good habits that I can sustain with them for the rest of their careers. And that, that goes to studying film, to, you know, things like their daily routine, getting up, you know, uh, making sure that, that they're dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And then when it comes to the basketball side of it, 
you know, Gannon's one of the best ever at just at building a foundation of fundamentals and building on from there towards, you know, advanced reads and, and helping guys get to the next level. And so that was my biggest intrigue. Yeah, I was looking at videos of Gannon back when I was with the Suns in like 2000, just seeing his impressive videos, man, how hard he worked, uh, the drills that he was doing. So I heard about him a long time ago. Maybe I was in our, yeah, I was in Phoenix, like early 2000s, uh, end of the 90s, and just really started noticing Gannon and and what he brought to the table. Now, your overseas experience, I know I'm going, I, I jumped ahead with the Gannon-Baker deal and uh, development. How did the overseas experience get you prepared to come back for, you know, being a coach yeah. and being a developmental guy? Yeah, I think, you know, the, the best part about the experience for me personally was being around different basketball cultures and just different cultures in general and different types of people. Um, you know, I did my best to try to assimilate wherever I was. I didn't try to, uh, you know, to, to find America overseas. I tried to find what they had and, and embrace that. And in that too, that was, there was a basketball element to that, you know, going to different countries and seeing how they play different style, styles, right? So whether that's being in Spain, which is predicated on ball movement, or whether that was being in Germany, which was predicated on, you know, a lot of pick and roll actions. I got to see the game played in a bunch of different ways. And uh, I got to have the opportunity to be around a bunch of different types of people from all different cultures, different nationalities. Every team was like a melting pot. And so to me, that, those were the best experiences because I learned there that you can't coach everybody the same way. Everybody's different, right? That the way to get through to one player is not the way to get through to another player. And a lot of that boils down to we all have different backgrounds. We all come from different places. And all we're trying to do is get on this hardwood 94 by 50 and try to figure out how we can come together and play together and ultimately win. Yeah, for sure. Now, you go from Albuquerque. And then you go to Cornell, and then you go overseas to all these different countries. How did how did was that a culture shock for you initially? I'll tell you, I called uh, I called my parents, you know, about a, a month or two into Cornell, and I mean, I'm miserable, right? Mm -hmm. I'm from the desert, the southwestern yep. desert. I'm in upstate New York. Uh, everything's different, and you know, they just gave me that that encouragement to to stick with it. The best part was that by the end of those four years, I was incredibly independent in terms of. You know, I figured out that wherever I was had to be my home. And uh, and then, you know, going overseas uh, was really was I viewed it as an adventure because I kind of been through that leaving leaving Albuquerque, New Mexico, which is a small, tight knit community and going you know out into to upstate New York. You don't know anybody. And then traveling over to New Zealand, which is my first experience. At least they spoke English. You know, I have I've got some I've got some stories right where there's them just dropping me a uh, a pair of car keys to uh, to a, a stick shift car where you the the wheels on the other side right so we're right. driving on the wrong side of the road for us the right side of the road for them yes. nobody gave me any instructions on how to operate a stick shift and not not only that but it's on the other side of the road so you know you just kind of dropped in there and it's sink or swim and you just figure out how to make it and and that's kind of what I did and eventually I fell in love with that process. So they basically, they basically gave you the car, no instructions, and then went into a back room and then had the odds on whether you're going to make it or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> over under. <laughs> Cross our fingers. Pray. Will we see him at practice? Yeah. Right? Let's see. Uh, right. <laughs> over or under? No. By the time I got to the end, I was like, <laughs> like. But by the time at the end of that thing, I was racing through the town like no problem. Hey, and then what I've heard from you, and this is a, a true thing about in our society right now of entitlement. You, you, you had to get it. Like, you really had to get it. Nobody gave you anything. You had to just, your mind, like you said, I looked at it as an adventure. Some kids, when things don't go their way, they call their parents. The parents bail them out in yep. today's world. Yep. Hey, why don't you just leave? We'll get you somewhere else where you're more comfortable. Yep. And that sets you up the wrong way for life. What happened with you actually set you up to be ready to leave Albuquerque to go to Cornell and then go overseas because then you started viewing it like, I can't quit. This is what I have to do. Yep. And I'm going to view it in my mind as positive because I always say happiness is a choice. 
you made yourself happy about those choices. Just talk about that. Yeah, I mean, there's – and as you go overseas and you get dropped into this world, right, obviously the guys who played overseas back, you know, in the 90s when you were playing, there was no internet, there was no Skype, there was no communication. Mm-hmm. You know, it was phone cards and things like that. So as I'm going over there, the technology piece is starting to take over, right, Skype's around, things of that nature. There really were two types of Americans playing overseas at that time. The guys that wanted to stay in their rooms and play video games all day and the other guys, the guys who wanted to get out, who wanted to, you know, see the culture, who wanted to go – you know, to the Sistine Chapel, stare up at the ceiling, enjoy and, and experience all of those things and respect that culture, whether it was walking down to get, you know, every day to get your groceries for that day, having a coffee at the city center, things of that nature. And I mean, to me, you know, nothing that was ever really given to me. Being from Albuquerque, New Mexico, wasn't a recruiting hotbed. My dad always said, if you're good, they'll find you. So I just bought into the process of working hard and taking care of everything that I could take care of. And then basketball provided me with an opportunity. And then at Cornell, it was the same thing. Was I going to be able to play after after college, who knows? I had no idea. And then, you know, luckily for me, that hard work was able to provide an opportunity for me. So every opportunity that I got, I cherished it. I mean, obviously we didn't know each other before you called me to interview me for whatever it was, a month and a half, right? And so, you know, God has been great to, to open these doors and provide these opportunities. And every time that I've gotten one, you know, I, I don't take any of them for granted because I understand what it's like to be on the outside looking in and you feel like you wanna beat down a window, you wanna beat down a door, you know, and doors have been closed in my face. And to me, I'm like, I'm going to find a way in, right? Whether it's through the skylight or, you know, you're at an old high school gym. There's always a gym in every single spot. You know, you just pop it the right way and you can get in and get some shots up. So that's been my view on everything. Yeah, perseverance, resiliency, you know, just stick to it in this. Just everything is about moving forward and never never veering off. You know, you got you can go left, you can go right or go straight. Let's just keep going straight, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's basically what it's all about. Now, how did you use that into your player development? Like in your time, like with the with the – with the uh, the Rockets first, right? Yeah, Rockets. Yeah, yeah. How did you? Were you nervous? How did you use your experiences to make you feel confident enough to get around me in there? Because you know G- NBA guys are way different, man. They don't trust people right away. Yeah. So how did you use that experience? So you know, and this is the whirlwind of my journey. Is you know, because me again, it also started that prep school, right? So I was coaching prep school, and I was around young kids doing development, and then we were running a pre-draft program. So I'd worked with guys that had gotten drafted and built that up, but. Literally, one day I go from, you know, unlocking the door, sweeping the gym, filling up the water bottles, laundering the uniforms, and the next day I'm on the team bus with Dwight Howard and James Harden. Like, it was literally like that, that quick. And I'll never forget my first workout. I was doing a workout, and it was me. It was, I had James Harden. I had Patrick Beverly. I had Patrick Beverly in the corner, and we were doing a drill where, you know, where I had a basketball, and James was making a move. And if he decided he was going to keep it and finish it, I'm going to pass to Pat. And if he passed a pat, then James is going to relocate. We're going to play some one-on-one, and he's going to get a second shot. Well, he goes in, and he does like this Euro step. And so as he does the Euro step, I just assume that he's going to shoot it. I throw a ball to Pat Beverly. Well, little do we know, James Harden is the master of the Euro step jump pass, right? So he throws it. Pat Bevka hits with, with, hit two, hits with two balls like immediately. I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm, I'm fired. I'm done. I'm like, <laughs> I'm in and out of here. I'm the quickest guy that's come through this place ever. You know, and you know, Pat Bev, like he's giving me the stare down and everything. Um, but ultimately, at the end of the day, what I realized was that sweat equity with those guys is really where the buy-in starts, right? It's if you'll get out there and work with them, you'll spend time with them and, and you'll get to know them. And, you know, and they know and, and respect how hard you work, then they're more likely to open themselves up to you. Because like you experienced, I'm sure, I mean, everybody's trying to get to you guys to, to for everything. And so... Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of how I approached it. You know, if I'm if I put in the time 
and build a sweat equity and show that I'm willing to do whatever I'll do, I can do to help them get a competitive edge. And at the end of the day, great ones like yourself and great ones like the guys I've been fortunate to work with, you know, they want to be better. So if I can provide value, then, then they'll take it. Yeah, so, you know, you're in there, which is a funny story about Pat Bev. I can see his face right now. You're in there working with these guys, and you're viewing how they handle things. Obviously, that's your first time on the inside with the pros, right? Mm -hmm. Your mindset of what you thought that needed to get you there, when you got there, were you shocked by anything, like negatively or positively? I won't even say negatively. Just positively, what would you say to a player that says, hey, Cody, you've been in the NBA. How can I get there from what you saw from those guys? Yeah, I think that the biggest thing that my eyes became open to was the fact that guys can go literally from the outhouse to the penthouse like that. You know, guys could have grown up in tough neighborhoods, come from difficult situations, and now you're looking at overnight they become millionaires, right? And I've seen that that overnight millionaire thing work as an advantage to certain guys, right, and a disadvantage to other guys to where now all of a sudden guys have gotten paid and then you kind of see a work ethic dip, right? Or guys come in – with an entitlement based upon their draft stock, and they don't realize there was a team there the year before that even though they might have had a lottery pick, right, those players, were they want to hold on to their jobs too. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I feel like I've seen the good, the bad, and the ugly from all of those situations. I've seen rookies come in and think that they've made it on non-guaranteed deals and be ousted really quickly. I've seen guys, and this is actually an interesting story, right, like, like James Harden is James Harden every day. And we had a rookie that came in, to a training camp one time and you know he went and he spent some time out with James on the social scene right and the next morning you know James is always one of the first guys to the arena right he always was showing up regardless of what he did the night before how a lady stayed up he brought it the next day and this rookie came in and the next day and boy I'm telling you what he looked like he must have had the night of his life but he was about to have a day from hell right and so he came in and he got his butt kicked all over the floor right and at the end of that you know obviously John Lucas is over there and you know, some other great coaches, Joseph Blair, Matt Brazzi, were all circling up. And one of the best uh, pieces of advice they ever heard was when Luke said, listen, you're not James Harden on your best day, on your best day. And James Harden is James Harden every day. Mm -hmm. So you can't afford to buy in and, and, and do all these different things that are going to put you at anything less than your best because your best still might not be good enough. Right. All right, let's take a break to talk about our good friends at Candid. You know, it's a new year and Every year we have plenty on the to-do list, but it's very important to take care of ourselves and get something for ourselves that we really want. Make sure this year you give yourself a gift that you've always wanted, a better smile, and our friends at Candid can help. While poorly reviewed or insanely priced clear aligner companies use general dentists, Candid only works with orthodontists who are experts in tooth movement. With Candid, the same orthodontist who created your plan can track your progress so you never have to wonder how you're doing. You can book an appointment at Candid Studio near you or do everything from the comfort and convenience of your own home. The average Candid treatment is just six months and you'll start seeing results way before then and it costs thousands less than traditional braces. And with your alignment treatment, you'll get Candid's teeth whitening for free. You know, in sports, we have the expression, if you feel good, you play good. And there's nothing that feels better than a beautiful smile with straightened teeth looking the way you want to look. So treat yourself to a gift you've always wanted, a straighter, brighter smile. Right now, you can get started from home for just $15 with a Candid Starter Kit. Or you can book an appointment at a Candid Studio near you today. 
go to candidco.com slash two cents and use the code two cents. That's candidco.com slash two cents with the code two cents. Take advantage of this limited time offer for a $15 starter kit. That's at candidco.com slash two cents code two cents. All right, let's also talk about our good friends at Indeed. You know, if you don't have players on the court with the right skills, whether it's a knockdown jump shot or an elite playmaking ability, you're going to have a tough time winning. The same goes for your business. Indeed is a fast, simple way to make sure you're hiring MVPs. If you're hiring, you need Indeed because Indeed is the hiring partner where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applications that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process, finding great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Plus, you only pay for quality applications that meet your must-have requirements. And the thing to love about Indeed, the thing that is so unique about it is it makes hiring easy because it's all in one place. Indeed makes it easier to hire great talent. According to Comscore, Indeed is the number one job site worldwide. And Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest in 2019. So start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash penny. Offer valid through March 31st. So go to Indeed.com slash penny claim your $75 credit before March 31st. Indeed.com slash penny. Terms and conditions apply. Find your MVP today. And let's also talk about prize picks. At the Two Cents Podcast, we're fans of the NBA, and we found the daily fantasy option for the NBA that you need to try. It's an award-winning app, and it's prize picks. Prize picks is daily fantasy made easy. You know, we love the way our players perform, compete, and get after on the court, but we love the stats that they put up. And now it's your time to use that knowledge and make some cash off it. Prize Picks offers any prop that you can think of from points scored to rebounds and even steals. Prize Picks allows mixed sports entries. You know, you, you like the way Devin Booker scores on the road, the way Rudy Gobert cleans the glass at home. You combine those picks, take the over on player one, combine with the under on player two, right in the same entry. And Prize Picks doesn't just offer NBA, they have options for NFL, soccer, MMA, and more. You pick two to five players and an over under on their projections, and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. And it's just you versus the projected numbers. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Prize Picks is safe and offers fast withdrawals. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play and use the promo code PENNY to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. So that's the promo code PENNY to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. That's 
promo code PENNY for 100% instant match deposit. Check out prizepicks.com. Price Picks is daily fantasy made easy. Talk about the numbers for these young guys that think that they're going to make. You know, you got at least nine players on every D1 college team, every D2 college team, every D3 college team, NAIA and JUCO, who think that they're going to make it to the NBA. Do the numbers on the guys that get drafted the year before that get thrusted into the, the G League that are still ready to come in that were drafted the year before you, plus the guys that are that are there now that were in the G League the year before that other group came, and then you're thinking, oh, I'm going to get in because I'm averaging 20 points a game. Can you yeah. do the numbers for those guys? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the big thing is this. The G League is – it's like it, – the, the biggest joke is what is the what is, what is prison and the G League have in common? Everybody wants out. So you got a bunch of dudes in there – who are making $35,000. And our joke was like, man, they're $35,000 max players. They all think that they deserve to be there, right? But they're all working, right? Now, some are working harder than others. So they're very capable. And college guys think, man, if I average double figures or this or that, or my coach is holding me down, you know, that the stats are what's going to carry them. But at the end of the day, 99% of the players in the NBA are role players. So do you have a specialty? Can you fill a role? Are you a rebounder? Are you a rim runner? Are you a shot blocker? Are you a catch and shoot three-point shooter? Are you a lockdown defender? Right. And, and I told Josh Jackson this I, one time. I said, Josh, just because you rode on the team bus with Devin Booker to the game, just because you wear the same uniform does not mean the same commitment has been made to you. And too many guys don't understand that. But when it comes to the amount of guys who are going to stay or this or that, I mean, every team's going to have at least, like you said, nine or 10 guaranteed contracts they're going to roll over to the next year, four or five that they got to make decisions on. A few of them might be free agents. A few of them might be guys who are non guaranteed or they're not going to pick up. Right. And now you've got guys only guaranteed contracts were guys that were drafted in the first round. So everybody else, it's a crapshoot. Who's going to make it and who's not? You might end up like P.J. Tucker, who in 2009 was matching up with me in a German League game, Bomberg versus Göttingen, right? Who then makes it and becomes a guaranteed sure, sure thing, obviously now. Or you might end up like, uh, you know, a couple other guys that I've coached who maybe were first rounders that ended up in China, right? And they just never figured it out. Yeah, it's just truly amazing when you talk about these numbers. I talk to scouts when they come to our practices, and I ask them what they look for. And they look for consistency, and they look for guys to understand who they are. Mm-hmm. And scoring usually isn't one of them. Yeah. And that's what these guys think, man. They want the guys, the role players. What are you going to do? We'll develop you to get you better. But what can you bring on a nightly basis that our superstars, because it's only a few of them, aren't going to bring? Mm-hmm. So going from NBA to college, just like I did. I went from NBA to middle school AAU to high school to college, going from NBA to college, how do you change? Do you change your verbiage? Because it's a the, 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 high, the college kid is just 18, 17, 18 years old versus what you would say to a role player on the, uh, or a bench player on the NBA. How did you change your your approach? Well, I think, yeah, yeah. No, and I think that the interesting thing is, right, coming into it, I think that I wasn't quite aware of how hard of a job we were going to have because of the level of entitlement that has been passed on. I mean, every kid who gets a free pair of sneakers feels like they're sponsored by Nike. Mm-hmm. Like, it's unbelievable, right? And so, you know, obviously we're, we're coming in, and, and, and with that season we encountered some, some, uh, some trials and tribulations that we couldn't have seen. But as I'm approaching these kids, I thought, you know, they would be so thirsty, right, to, to know, to understand, to extract information from you, from me, from the rest of the staff, on, man, what was the difference between this guy making and this guy not? Why did this guy, why has this guy made it, you know, and, and how can I do that? Like, what should I do 
uh, or what are my strengths? How can I, you know, maximize what I am? And it, it really wasn't like that. It was more the level of insecurities that these guys have. I think they harbor deep within. Uh, a lot of them don't want the truth. And so I feel like what we've had to be over the last three years is the ultimate truth tellers. And for a lot of these guys, the truth hurts, right? But like I always say, the truth is, the truth fears no question. And the truth is like medicine, right? Because they might not taste good on the way down to my daughters, right? But if it makes you health, healthy, ultimately it's what you need. And the guys who will make it are the guys who are able to take that truth right? Live it and then extract the, the best parts of it that they can take and then incorporate into their games. But it's not just about their games. So much of this is about their mentality. And I think that the mental side is the next revolution in terms of how can we help guys change their mental approach? Yeah. So you've seen talented, talented teams in the NBA, just like you've seen talented teams, talent alone, not championship teams, but talent. What do you say to someone go, you know, why is why is the Lakers losing? But they have so much talent. Why is Memphis losing? Because they have so much talent. The talent is there. Yeah, I mean, I think the interesting thing about, about uh, the talent component is talent, a lot of times, it's the physical attributes, right? It's the physical profile. It's like le great length, great size, great athletic ability, run, jump, things of, those na of that nature. But the thing that takes the longest to, I think, um, come around is the IQ side of things. So when you have youth that's talented, uh, the IQ side and building those habits that we've talked about in terms of being able to read the defense, it takes time. Like I, my, the example that I always use is it, it, a guy who's used, you know, 50,000 pick and rolls is probably going to be better than a guy who's used 500 pick and rolls. Mm -hmm. And so part of that is just experience. But the other part of that is how you develop these guys in practice. And obviously that's what we've tried to do here is recreate game situations, put our guys in those pick and roll situations, defended. So now hopefully we can accelerate that learning process. But at the end of the day, there's always a learning curve. And I think that's the biggest thing. We want guys to be uh, unconsciously skilled, but on the way to becoming unconsciously skilled, right? First, they're unconsciously unskilled. They have no idea what they don't know. Right. Then we introduce them to a concept, right? Like you've been talking about the three levels of the pick and roll nonstop now. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, between being unconsciously unskilled and consciously skilled, they've got to go through those that those roadblocks, those speed bumps. And some guys, what they'll find in that is, man, I'm not a pick and roll guy. I got to get to the corner. Right. Let somebody else make the play and just be ready to be what I am. But then the guys don't want to really be who they really are. They want to be someone else, which is the other thing that the scout told me. They don't want guys that have identity problems. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If you think you're a shooter and you're shooting 30% from a three, you're not. Mm -hmm. If you're a guy that thinks that you're a point guard, but you can't, you're missing all your reads, you're really not a PG. And... When you tell a guy you need to stand in the corner, now his parents and his ear, they only have you standing in the corner, but that might be your best deal for you to look the best, play out of closeouts, sprint to the corners, hunt shots, things of that nature. And that's been the, rigorous, the biggest shock for me coming to this level is that two things. They never ask us questions on how to get better or how to get there. It's like we're just there for their, I don't know, what, a lot of times what we're here for because we're coaching, but they're never really asking questions. And the second thing is that they don't want to be who they really are. Yeah. They don't want to, they, the, the truth of who they really are really bothers them. And they're going, well, you don't know what you're talking about. I need to be this guy so that the scouts will draft me. And that's truly un unfortunate, man, for the kids because we're trying to give them an experience that they've never had before. Teach them things that they can take for the rest of their lives, whether it's in the NBA or whether it's overseas. And you can make some good money overseas. Uh, if you're blessed enough to make it to the NBA, that you can go in right away, step into a situation, and know every single thing that's going on in that practice as a rookie and get playing time because you do know 
That's what we're trying to do. Now, through all of these experiences that you've had in three years, because you've had a bunch here with me, how's that going to help you when you become a head coach of a college team or NBA team? Yeah, well, you know, just piggybacking on the identity crisis stuff that you're talking about, right? Like someone's parent might think that putting him in the corner is going to cost them an opportunity. But what they don't understand is, you know, obviously, like I've had the opportunity to be in, you know, some draft rooms during the NBA draft, and we had the first, 10th, and 31st pick with Phoenix, right? Where you know, we get Aiden, we get Bridges, and we get Elliot Kobo. Elliot Kobo is already back in France right now, right? We got Mikhail Bridges from Philly for Zaire. I can't even remember his last name, right? The kid from Texas Tech. And so the thing about it is the conversations in there, they don't realize is, man, if you make a corner three-point shot at 45%, you're going to buy your mom a house. And by putting them there, you're actually uh, helping to not expose them to the things that the scouts would say uh, about them negatively uh, impacting the game through doing what they're not capable of doing, right. right? And so it's kind of funny to think that their mindset is totally twisted and backwards. Now, all the experiences that we've had here, and we've had, we've been to the highs of the highs with winning an NIT championship. We've been to the lows. We've clawed. We've fought. We've won close games. We've lost a lot of close games. I mean, whether it's dealing with the mental side on missed free throws or the turnover bug or whatever it is, you know, all of the, the trials and tribulations that we've gone through to me, uh, I think the biggest thing that I take from this is understanding that we've all got to be rowing in the same direction. And that if you've got segments on your team that are going to divide or segments on your team, they're going to try to, you know, look for a lifeboat. You know what I mean? Like the minute there's some type of adversity, it's really hard to win with that. And the big word that you've used a lot of times here is culture. Like culture is about character. Culture is about uh, you know, being willing to sacrifice yourself for your teammate. And the guys who do that, it stands out because the NBA teams, they want winners. The overseas teams, they want winners. They don't even want, they don't want empty stats. If you go over there and score 20 points a game and your team loses, you'll be cut. And every game you win, guess what? It's the, it's the domestic players that won the game. Mm -hmm. And every game you lose, it's the Americans' fault. So at the end of the day, it's all about winning. And I think that's what a lot of guys don't understand. If you make winning plays and you're willing to do whatever it takes, then at the end of the day, the stats don't matter. And, you know, because we did last year, we did that study on points per game and draft picks. And it was remarkable and starting. You know, I mean, obviously Devin Booker didn't start in games. Patrick Williams, who, you know, you've had a big key in his development, right, helping him with off-the-floor stuff and things like that. Like, he was a sixth man for Florida State. Book was a sixth man at Kentucky. But they stayed true to the process, and they never had an identity crisis, and it's not a coincidence they are where they are. Yeah, I, I, I just think, man, just – I listen to a lot of motivational – um, video or watch or listen to a lot of motivational things and to me everybody there's only like a few great they talk about the mama mentality but the mama mentality is any guy that's willing to go past the limit there is no finish line we're not looking to run to the end of the finish line and we're done mm -hmm. we run past the finish line and it's limitless because we know when we go past that that's not that's not somewhere that most people can go yeah and when you coach these kids they all have a finish line, mm -hmm. and they still want to get there. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true, man. It's not going to happen for you, man. And I heard this guy uh, say, "You have to, uh, there's two things in the world you have. You have an a, a opportunity and a, and a choice. I think it was something. I don't want to misquote, but it's like every morning you wake up, you have a, uh, a chance and a choice. And it's like you have, to, you have to seize those moments and not take anything for granted, but you really have to push past your, your comfort level which a lot of guys really, what shocked me is that a lot of guys willing, aren't willing to push past the comfort level, but they want to get there. Yeah. They want to get the, the glory out of something. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's, that's really shocking to me. But for us, 
you know, it's been great working with you because we've tried so hard, no matter how it looks to anybody else, <laughs> to fight so hard for the city and for the school and give these kids an opportunity to, to fight past the finish line and to make everything limitless and just to try to have a, if they want to say mama mentality because they, rest in peace to the great Kobe Bryant, they, they identify with mama mentality being hardworking. Yeah. But he was also relentless on getting past the limit, mm -hmm. getting past the finish line, man, and that's where we are now. I mean, piggybacking on that, not only him getting past the finish line, but he's taking other people with him past the finish line. And I think, you know, you, you, it's so interesting you talk about a finish line. So many guys who get drafted think that, that now they've made it to the finish line. You ask a lot of guys, what was their goal? What, what was your goal? Oh, yeah, I wanted to get to the NBA. Well, guys who don't reframe that to stay in the NBA a lot of times don't have the staying power. I mentioned, you know, Elliot Kobo, great kid, right? He got in there, he got super comfortable, and that's not great. And that's why he's back in, that's why he's back in France. And he's a talented player. There's so many examples of that. And another word I know that, that you've been stressing with our guys is consistency. Consistency is greatness. Like, can you be the same dude on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Like, or are there great fluctuations in your mentality, your mental toughness, your ability to just show up and, and, and bring it, you know, whether it's a practice or a game? I mean, the games are the reward, but practice is really where you win the games. Like, getting in there and, and getting in the trenches and learning and doing all those things and fighting through it. And guys think that they're going to go to the NBA. And 82 games is so hard in your body. Like, obviously, you know that. And our guys don't realize that if you're blessed enough to get there at a random February, you're going to wake up in a city you don't know, in a time zone you don't know, and you don't want to play because your body hurts. And guess what? You've got to go to work. You've got to go to work. And too many guys think, I, and I'll last quote because it kind of just vibes with exactly what you're saying, is you don't want to run 22 miles of a marathon, and you can't win a marathon in the first 10 miles. And guys don't understand that, right? Like, this is, this is a marathon, right? If you run 22 miles, you still didn't complete the marathon. And so many guys don't understand that it takes the consistency over a long haul in order to be consistent, you know, with how your habits are eating, your recovery, your practice habits, your pregame habits, and all that stuff is huge in, in whether you're going to have success. Yeah, and I'll say this to, to, to end this. Positive mindset, great energy can take you anywhere. Yeah. Positive mindset and great energy can take you anywhere. Cody, I appreciate you, my man. <laughs> Thank Tony you for having me, everybody. Coach. Thank you guys for tuning in to My Two Cents Podcast. Peace, we're out.